Last weekend, I kicked off this three-week series talking about breakthrough, and, and my message last weekend was how to break through. How, H-O-W, and I gave three ways, humility, obedience, and worship. How to get a breakthrough. Now, let me just say today, if you're here this morning and you haven't tracked with us last week, you're not really sure what all we're talking about with this 21 days of fasting and prayer, I want you to know if you'll do these three things, you can have a breakthrough in your life today. <clears throat> I'm glad the front row believes that. It must be the, the, the cool air. My, maybe, maybe it's not getting back to you. I'm telling you, if you will do these things, you can have a breakthrough today. It begins with humility. Humility just says, God, I recognize that I need you to intervene in my life. It's the, it's the place of saying, God, I, I can't fix all this. I'm not even going to try to fix all this. God, I need your divine intervention in my life. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 17, a broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. He won't turn your way if you come with a heart of humility. And so that's where we begin. We come to God and say, God, I need a breakthrough in my life. I need a breakthrough in my finances or in my marriage or in my family or in my, my spiritual life. I need a, a breakthrough to where my faith feels alive again and not like it's just covered in mothballs and some religious routine. If you'll call out to God in humility, he'll respond. But the second thing is obedience. That you have to obey what the Lord tells you to do. And I'm not talking about living in sinless perfection. But I am talking about making a decision to live in a sinless direction. To say from this day forward, I'm going to, to the best of my ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to follow the Lord's leading. Because the Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And if we'll just commit to taking the next step, He's leading us on. He will guide the one after that. His word is a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. We have to make a decision there to say, God, I'm going to obey your word. And the third thing is worship. And the way we worship, we talked about this last weekend, is through our prayers and through our praise. We worship God through our prayers and through our praise. And can I just say to you today, church, that big, bold prayers honor a big God. So if there's something you need God to do, don't not receive it because you didn't ask. Honor God and how great he is with the size of your prayers. I love the scripture in Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah says, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched hand. You know what that is? That's praise. That's what we just sang this morning. God, there's nothing you can't do. You're too good to not believe. He starts exalting the Lord. You created all of this with your outstretched hand and with your mighty power. Now, here's the prayer. Nothing is too hard for you. Can we just read that together? Nothing is too hard for you. Does anybody believe that today? Amen. Amen. I'm going to preach myself warm and happy today. It's going to be good. I'm telling you, it's more comfortable in here when you shout. I'm just, I, I'm probably more comfortable than you. Today, what I want to do is I want to show you a breakthrough. I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. I love this story. It's maybe not really familiar, but it's a powerful story of breakthrough. And as we just walk through a couple verses today, I pray that God would just deposit something in your heart. You know, we've been praying individually for breakthrough We've been uh, seeking the Lord in daily devotions, and many of you fasting, and, but it's Sunday. It's the day we get to come together. So I want to just right now, before we read the text, before we jump into the message, 
I want to pray again collectively. I, again, I don't know exactly what you need to break. We just come in agreement today that we're inviting the Lord to move in our hearts and lives. Would you pray with me, right? As we sit here with Bibles open, hearts ready to receive. God, we come to you today. We come to your word. Lord, it is, it is life. There is the breath of God on every page. And Lord, we come carrying the needs of our lives, the things that we, we brought from home, the, the things that we've been carrying through this last work week, the, the troubles and the difficulties in relationships and in health and in all of this, Lord God. Lord, we bring it before you today. We're, at, we're humbling ourselves. We're saying, God, we need you to intervene. That's why we pray to a God that is bigger than us because there are some things that are too hard for us, but there's nothing too hard for you. And so, God, we, we humble ourselves and we ask you, Lord, to move in our lives and we commit, Lord, to obey your word. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit right now. God, as we worship you, let our prayer, let our praise let it reflect the size of the God we serve. We come with absolute confidence today. The breakthrough is coming in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Even as I'm praying, I, I often put my hand in my left pocket here and, and I just reminded, I was reminded I have a, a request for prayer that was given to me after the first service. I was asked to do a funeral this week for a family member of one of our members, Sherry Fritz. And uh, so this note's from Sherry to do a funeral for one of her family members. And it, it just reminded me, even as I'm praying, I don't know what's happening in your life right now. And you don't know what burden somebody else is carrying. But aren't you thankful that we serve a God that knows? A God that does all things well. Come on, let's not receive because we didn't ask. Let's trust God today to meet our needs. Jump right into the text with me. Second Samuel Chapter 5, verse 17 begins like this. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. Now, let me just stop right there and say they were not searching for him to congratulate him on his coronation. All right, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you ought to know this. The Philistines hate David. I mean, they didn't like Saul, but they hate David. You know, David had done a lot of destruction to the Philistine nation. And so they are not coming to congratulate him. They are actually coming out in full force to come against him and to wage war. And isn't that the way it is in life for us too? That it feels like the moment something good happens, like we get two steps ahead, then like wham, something bad happens right after that. You ever been there where you just feel like, you know, it seems like life is moving in one of two directions. You're either coming out of a storm or you're going into a storm. <laughs> And have you ever just wanted to get off that merry-go-round? Like, why is it every time I feel like I, I had a little bit of a gain, then, man, here comes a loss. Every time I get a little bit of a victory, man, here comes the devil with another lie, with another attack. I mean, I, I, you know, I finally, I finally paid off one of the cars, and then the other one broke down. You know, that, that kind of cycle that just seems like the devil just keeps coming at you. That's where David's at. And to, to be honest, this is a moment that has long been overdue for David. I mean, this, this is the result. His coronation as king of Israel is the result of a long obedience in the same direction. I mean, he's just faithfully doing the work of God. At, at 15, maybe 16 years old, David was anointed to be the next king in Israel. Now he's in his 30s. So it's been a long 
process. David, as a teenager, he served as a musician in King Saul's court, and he stayed there, and he served faithfully until he had to start dodging spears that Saul was throwing at him, and he finally ran for his life, became a refugee, hid out in the mountains and the caves for years while the king of Israel was hunting him down. But David never got a bitter spirit. In fact, there was a moment in the story where, where Saul was ch- chasing David, trying to figure out where he was hiding, and he, the Bible says he had to relieve himself. Aren't you, aren't you glad the Bible's just honest? It's just real, you know? Saul had to do what people have to do, and he goes into a cave, and that was the cave that David was hiding in. And so David's hiding, and, and Saul is at his most vulnerable state. And the men with David say, this is your moment. God has given you the throne. Go and take him. And David refused to touch the anointed one of God, a man of honor. And he continued to run for his life for for several years after that. Finally, the the day came when Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle. And you can read this in the first chapter of this book. They're killed in battle, and they take the crown off of Saul's head on the battlefield. They physically remove it from his head and take it straight to David. Everybody knows David's going to be the next king. And instead of taking that throne and saying, it's about time, I got what's coming to me. Instead, David, the Bible says, he tears his clothes and he fasts. He fasts for the rest of that day. And then he writes a song, as he often did. He writes a song of lament over King Saul and and over Jonathan and And he tells Judah, I want everybody in Judah to learn this song about how the mighty have fallen. Till finally the day comes, he's, he's crowned king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Only to discover that Saul's commanding officer had also crowned Saul's other son as king of Judah. So for seven and a half years, they're like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They're just back and forth. They're battling with each other. Until finally the day comes where... David is not only the established king of Judah, but now he's been crowned king of Israel. And it's the only city that hasn't been already uh, possessed by one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he goes in and he conquers Jerusalem. He changes the name. He says, this is now the city of David. And he builds a palace for himself. He doesn't even have a chance to put his feet up and enjoy it for two minutes. And it says, the Philistines came in full force against him. In full force. Now, David's defeated them a number of times before. I mean, fighting the Philistines is like second nature if you're David. So it wasn't the battle that bothered him. It was the fact that they just kept coming. You ever been in that place? Has anybody ever won a spiritual victory before? You felt like, you know what? I've been through some stuff. God's gracious. I'm here to testify. I've been through it. I'm on the winning side. But how many of you have just been a little bit punch drunk by the devil? You know what I mean? I'm not talking about what happened like at the wedding uh, that you were at. No, not spiked punch. I mean like the enemy's like body blows. You know, he just go, he just time and time again, you just feel worn out by the onslaught from the enemy. That's David. He's in this place. And so here's what he does. The constant battle is wearing him down. This is good. I'm 15 minutes in and we got four words into the text. It says, but David, verse 17, but David heard about it and he went down to the stronghold. 
He heard about the Philistines coming up in full force, and he went down to the stronghold. Now, when I read that, I had to ask the question, well, what's the stronghold? Why did he go there? Now, a stronghold is like a fortress. It might be the, the inner the inner part of the city, if there's a walled city and then there's a, a walled section inside, that's the, that's the final, the last stand. You know, it's like Lord of the Rings moment. That's the fortress. I know you love that analogy. It's, it's like it could be in a mountain. It could be a high point, a strategic place to defend yourself against the enemy. But I want to tell you, for David, the stronghold meant a whole lot more than that. In fact, when you, when you go to the end of 2 Samuel, David wrote another song about the stronghold. This was actually his last battle with the Philistines. I mean, he's, he's just beat on them for a lifetime until finally he's too old to fight. And his soldiers are like, David, you got to stay home. You can't come out here anymore. He's like, I can take them. And they're like, no, no, you got, you got to go back. And so David defeats the Philistines for the last time. And then he writes this song in 2 Samuel 22. Look at this. He says, David sang to the Lord, the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Look at this. He is my stronghold. So when David ran to the stronghold, where did he go? Well, he might have gone to the fortress in the new city. He might have gone up to the mountains. But I'm going to tell you in his heart where he went. He said, the Lord is my stronghold. He is my stronghold. In, in Psalm 27, he wrote another song about it. He said, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? David knew something about the presence of God. David knew that in the midst of conflict, he could run to the rock that was higher than him. He could find a safe place, a stronghold in the presence of God. Can I tell you today, if you're a little battle weary, there is a stronghold in Jesus' name. There is a stronghold. We can run. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved. We can run to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, even being in church this morning is a stronghold. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? Isn't it good to be with God's people? There's something that, that's protecting here. There's something that's encouraging about being among other believers, hearing other people sing out loud. He's too good to not believe. There's something that happens to our faith that, that we are less prone to the attacks of the enemy when we're together than we are when we're apart. Now, see, the world looks at us on Sunday, and you all look good, and everybody's smiling, and everybody's happy to be here, and cold. But the world looks at you, and they go, oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Because they, they saw you, they saw the lesser version of you at work this week, or, or out losing your mind at your kid's soccer game. And they see the best version of you here, and they say, you're hypocrites. We say, no, we're not hypocrites. We're in the stronghold. I'm in my safe place. I mean, you know, you might struggle with, you know, alcoholism, but I hope you don't struggle from 10 to 11 on Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, you might drink, but you're not drinking now. You might gossip, but you're not gossiping now. You might have a struggle and an issue, but when we get into the stronghold, there's protection, this is the best version of me you're going to get all week. 
I'm in my strong place. And so David said, when the enemy comes against me, I got to go to the stronghold. I'm going to tell you, your, your secret place, your place of devotion in the morning and in the evening, those quiet moments you have with God, that's your stronghold. Even fasting and prayer can be a stronghold for us. Listen, I'm not talking about a bunker. I'm not talking about a place where we just hide out and hang on until the war ends. I'm talking about a war room, a place that we can get the mind of God, hear the voice of the Lord, and get a strategy from heaven for earth's assignment. There's a stronghold that he invites us into. James talked about it. Talked about the power of our prayer in James 5. He said that the prayer of a writer, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament, thousands of years before, and he brings up Elijah. Look at verse 17 with me in James 5. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. He says, Elijah was no different than you and me. I love that story about Elijah. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. He said to King Ahab, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And then three and a half years later, he looks at King Ahab and he said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Ahab's probably thinking, how weird. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. There's not a cloud in the sky. What are you talking about? He's speaking prophetically. In my spirit, I hear it. I hear something's about to change. Does anybody feel that in your spirit, in your life, in this church? Like, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And so he he tells Ahab, he said, in fact, you better just go ahead and and, and get on your chariot and head back to Jezreel because it's going to rain so hard that if you don't go now, your chariot wheels are going to get stuck in the mud. So go now because it's about to rain. And then Elijah goes up on the mountain, and he begins to pray. He begins to seek God, and he sends his servant up to the very top of the mountain. He says, go up there a little farther, and tell me if you see any clouds in the sky. Tell me if you see any rain. The servant goes up there. He comes back. He says, nothing. So what does Elijah do? He says, well, go back again, and he keeps praying. Servant comes back a second time, nothing. A third time, nothing. A fourth time, nothing. He just keeps sending him back up there. And see, that's what some of us need to do. We need to get some persistence because you've gotten five no's and you don't know that on the seventh time, things are about to change. They're going to change for him the way they changed for Naaman when he came up out of that Jordan River. And so on the seventh time, the servant comes back and he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And that's all that Elijah needed. The Bible says he tucked his cloak in his garments and he took off running and he outran King Ahab's chariots all the way back to Jezreel. And the clouds grew dark and the rains began to fall. We've got to have persistence to say, God, I've got to, I'm coming into this stronghold and I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe for breakthrough because that's what I need in my life. And I need you to speak, Lord. That's what David did. He went to his stronghold. He went to the place of prayer. Pick it up with me in verse 19. It says, so David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. Can I just say on that note, church, you got to hear from God. 
I know that sounds elementary, but you'd be amazed at how many people think that prayer is just telling God everything we need. Prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is hearing from God. And so many of us would go, oh, you know what, I really need to pray. And so we spend five minutes praying, we say amen, and then we just go back to whatever we're doing. God wants to talk too. God has something he wants to say. And that's what's so important about this moment. David goes into that place, and he prays, and he listens, and God speaks. God tells him what he wants him to do. And immediately, David obeys. See, prayer without a willingness to obey is fruitless. It's pointless. It's a religious charade. But prayer, coupled with a willingness to obey, is powerful and effective. And it's so important that we hear from God because God wants to give us wisdom keys for the next step in our journey. You know, in just a couple of verses after this, David's going to fight the Philistines again. They keep coming back as the enemy often does. But thankfully, David, he didn't say, well, you know, I know how to take care of this. God said, go, last time. No, look at it with me in verse 22. It says, once more, the Philistines came up and they spread out in the valley of Rephaim. This is a second battle. And it says in verse 23, so David inquired of the Lord and he answered, do not go straight up. But circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. Church, this is where we miss it sometimes. The reason that we miss out on the new thing that God wants to do, the new path he wants to make in the wilderness, the the way that he wants for us is because we feel like we're experts on the last thing God did. And sometimes the last move of God can be the greatest hindrance to the next move of God. Because we know how this stuff happens. We know how this is supposed to go. And David, in that moment, could have made the same mistake Israel made in Joshua 7. Because in in Joshua chapter 6, they marched around Jericho, and God gave them the impenetrable fortress of Jericho. And then right after that, they didn't even pray. They didn't ask God. They just thought they knew how to win battles. And so they ran off with a little small platoon to a town called Ai, and they were defeated and embarrassed. And they went back home with their tail between their legs, and they called a prayer meeting. Some of us, we need to have that humility that says, God, yes, you've been faithful. I don't discredit anything you've done in my past. Thank God for what he's done to bring us here. But I'm not living in yesterday. My dreams are still bigger than my memories. How about you? And so I need God to tell me the strategy for today. I need God to speak in the stronghold today for tomorrow. And that's what David did. Now, now go back to the first and fight with the Philistines. David went to El Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. I got to read it to you out of the New King James Version so it can minister to you the way it did to me. Because I, I like to study out of several translations, and uh, I, I think that's good. I think we should read broadly. I know there's some people that they get hung up on you know, one version's the only version, or one translation's the only translation, but the more translations I read, the, the more convinced I am they're pretty good. I tell people, you know, and they say, well, which translation of the Bible should I read? I say, the one you'll actually read. I'd rather you read a bad translation than not read a good one. Most people that complain about translations don't actually study the word anyway, so just pick one 
and then cross-reference it. I was reading out of the New King James Bible this week, and this verse jumped off the page. It says this, So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me. Come on, isn't that a good breakthrough verse? The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. There's three things I wanna tell you about this verse really quickly. Number one is David went. That's important. David went because hearing God's voice means nothing if we don't obey God's voice. The second thing is this. It says David went to Baal-perazim. Now, I know when I said that name, you were like, oh, I love that. No, you probably did what I did. I'm like, what does that mean? Because it says at the end of the verse, so David called the place Baal-perazim. So it didn't used to be called that. David called it that. So what does it mean? Baal-perazim means the place of breakthrough. The place of breakthrough. Some translations call, say it's the master of breakthrough. Or, or the place of bursting. And so David goes on to say, this was the place like the breakthrough of water. God just burst it out. I mean, I went into the stronghold, and I believed, and I prayed, and then God burst it out. And the third thing I want you to see in the text is it says, the Lord has broken through my enemies. That's the reality for a spirit-minded man or woman of God. The Lord broke through my enemies. Now, the text says David routed the Philistines. So in the natural, it looks like David went out and did what he did what David does. Like, he's a bad dude. David beat him. But David said, that's not what happened. This is what happened. I was sick and tired of my enemies coming at me in full force. I went to the secret place. I went to the stronghold. I got on my knees. I sought the Lord. I prayed. I fasted. I believed. And I heard from God, and he gave me a strategy. And I went out, and the Lord broke through. But like waters, the Lord broke through on my enemies. And that's the way that God wants it to work in your life, church. Other people might look at you and just go, how does he always have it together? Why, why do her kids behave so well? My kids are acting like fools. What? People might look at you and think, man, how do you keep winning all these victories? But you know, and I know, it's the Lord that has broken through with his favor on our lives. Amen. It's the Lord. He's the, he's the master of breakthrough. And after David had gone out of the secret place in the stronghold and won that victory, he called that place the place of breakthrough. And I believe there's a bell parasim in your life and mine. God wants you to have a place where you can go, this is the place. This was the moment that God won the victory for me, that God turned it around. And it's going to come because of our willingness to go and meet him time and again through prayer, through fasting, through persistence, to meet with God, to grab a hold of the horns of the altar, and to just believe breakthrough is coming, change is coming. You've got you to push through you got to just push through. I mean, we're, we're eight days into this 21 days. I'm telling you, there, there's some things I've circled in my heart and, and in my journal, and I'm believing God. you gotta, you got to give us a breakthrough. We, we need something to shift right here. And I love that story we talked about earlier of Elijah when he, he's up on the mountain, and, and he's praying, and, and he sends his servant up 
And put verse, is it 42? I think it's verse 42. Back up on the screen from 1 Kings. The Bible says that, that Elijah, he, he bent down with his head between his knees. With his face between his knees. He's, so I can, just, I can just picture him. He's down and he's praying. And the servant comes and he says, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but there's, there's nothing up there. And Elijah could have given up, but in that moment, Elijah knew that sometimes you got to push through. This verse that we just read says, the Lord has broken through. Now, forgive, for, forgive me if this analogy is a little bit crass, but when I thought about uh, the Lord breaking through and bursting out, I, th- I thought about when my three girls were born. There was a clue that God has given women to know it's almost time to push for delivery. The water breaks. The water breaks. But that doesn't mean, you know, the battle's over. That just means it's about to start. Come on, I got some, I got some test of testimonies in the house here. No need to elaborate. But you know, once the water breaks, it's almost time to push. And some of you need to get that in your spirit. Like, God, you come into the secret place, and you're praying, and you're asking God. And, and the Lord is hand for that off. You've got to push through. You got to push. Pray until something happens. Push. And that's what Elijah did. And he's there. I mean, he's like in delivery position. He's got his face between his knees. And the servant keeps coming back. And he's like, hey, there's no water. And he says, push. I'm going to pray. I'm going to push. I'm just going to keep believing until finally there's a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. And God is bringing about the victory. Worship team, come on back up here. We're going to pray. Listen, I don't know what it is that you're asking God to do in your life. But breakthrough doesn't happen to people. Breakthrough comes to those who seek. And Jesus said those who seek will find. Those who ask, receive. To those who knock, the door will be open. You got to push. That's what this fasting season has been all about. It's been about saying, you know what, God, I pray, I worship, I go to church, but in this 21 days, I'm going to push a little harder. I'm going to really lean in with my heart, with, with, a, with a, a focus and a purpose that is unusual and maybe even unnatural to me. I'm going to sacrifice the desires of my flesh to seek heaven's answers to earth's problems. That's what fasting is. It's vertical solutions to horizontal problems. And you need to just come after the heart of God. Say, God, in this season, I'm going to press in a little farther. Would you stand with me all over this room? We're going to pray.